Friends, let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> we come to a night to a uh, sermon on contemporary worship. At least that's what it's called here. We'll find out just what that means. Occasionally, I try to be somewhat uh, provocative with the titles. I don't know if you may read them or not, but uh, so it is. Hebrews 12, we begin in verse 18, we'll read through verse 29. The author of Hebrews and the Lord tell us these things. For you've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and dark darkness and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray and ask for him to be with us as we, in my case, preach and in all our cases, hear and respond to his word. Oh Lord, we come before you. Help us to avoid flippancy. Help us to give reverence to you. And yet, Lord, help us to receive, above all, receive Jesus Christ as we worship even now with the angels. May you bless your people as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may know that uh, my wife and I have a couple of cats. One cat is very wonderful and always kind. The other cat seems very wonderful and looks kind. And indeed, for about 30 minutes, She will be kind. She will climb up in your lap. She'll sit there. She'll warm you. She'll be cuddly. She's very soft for about 30 minutes. And you would think she is always gentle and happy and sweet. But somewhere around the 45-minute mark, something happens inside her. Her internal clock goes off, and she wakes up. She grabs your arm with her claws extended, and she chomps for no apparent reason. 
I say that, of course, because one of the dangers that you might have if you have this soft cat on you is that she's always going to be soft. This gentle cat, she's always going to be gentle. Don't assume that because this cat is soft and gentle for half an hour that she's weak and wimpy. It is a fatal mistake. I have the scars to prove it if you want to see them afterwards. Of course, some folks make this mistake with a creature that's a being far worse than a cat, far more powerful than a cat. We make the mistake with God. We make the mistake with God. We misunderstand the gentleness and the kindness of God. We misunderstand the softness of God. I mean, it's common. When you first became a Christian, you were really concerned about honoring God. I'm willing to bet you you were worried about sinning. You were worried about making mistakes. You were worried about failing him. It's common when you first start out as a Christian to be very cautious around God. You sin and you're afraid he's going to punish you. But you do it once and you're worried about it and there's no lightning from heaven. And so, you know, a week goes by and then you sin again and there's no earthquake. And you sin a third time and nothing seems to happen to you. And you look at other people and they seem to sin and nothing happens to them. No bad thing. They get away with it and they become more comfortable in it. They're happy to do it. So we can be tempted to say how many times we cross the line doesn't really matter. God will never do anything about it. Never. And that's the temptation that the first hearers of these words had. You know the story of the book of Hebrews. is all, It's not just about Christ is greater. That's kind of the popular view. Christ is greater. No, the story of Hebrews is all about Christ is greater, so don't go back. Christ is greater, so persevere. Keep on keeping on as a Christian. And the temptation that these first hearers had is they thought they could go back to the old ways and it wouldn't be a problem with Jesus. They thought Jesus was so sweet and warm and fluffy, he just wouldn't care. God wouldn't mind because he hadn't seemed to mind up to that point. A fatal mistake. So we have here two sections. Uh, if you want to outline, I'll give it to you now. Beginning in verse 18 through verse 24, we have first a contrast. We have a contrast. And secondly, verse 25 to verse 29, we have a, a response. A contrast, a response. We'll look first here at the contrast, verse 18 to verse 24. And the contrast. <clears throat> it's a dangerous thing, of course, to misread God's gentleness, God's patience. But it never seems that dangerous. It feels as if, isn't it what people say? That uh, as if God will just keep on forgiving because that's what he does, that this job, we smirk as we sin. I mean, aren't we in the New Testament age where rules don't matter? We're in the new covenant, so Jesus will just be nice to us. He's so friendly. And at first blush, as we turn down the text, at first blush, the author seems to support this break with the Old Testament, with the Old Covenant. Look at verse 18. Here's the contrast. You have not come. You have not come. Now skip down to verse 22. You have come. There's somewhere you've not come, and there's somewhere you have come. There are two places, and one of which you not come to, and one of which you come to. There are two sets of circumstances at these places. There are two, if you will, environments, atmospheres at these different places. And really, they will become... Clear, there are two ways of relating to God. There's the traditional way and the contemporary way. 
Oh, did I give the game away there? There's, there are two ways of worshiping God. There's the old way and the new way, the old covenant and the new covenant, the law and the gospel. Or to use the pictures that the author uses, you come to two mountains. This morning we were in the pit with Joseph. Tonight we're in the mountains. We come to Mount Sinai on the one hand or Mount Zion. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. You've not come to the one. You've not come to Sinai. You have come to Zion. You haven't come to Sinai. But what's, what's Sinai all about? What's the atmosphere of Sinai? Look at verse 18. You've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, dark darkness, literally, a tempest, the sound of a trumpet. It's loud there. Trumpets everywhere. And there was a big voice that nobody wanted to hear anymore. The hearers begged that no further messages be spoken to them. Wasn't that Sinai? It sounds really scary here, and it was. But Sinai was the climax of Israel's Old Testament experience. It was where God met on the mountain with Moses. It was where God gave to Israel his law in written form. Sinai was where Israel entered into covenant with God. This was at least in the top two of the best church services in the Old Testament. Maybe the temple was better, but this really probably takes a cake even there. If you want a great church service in the Old Testament, you go to Mount Sinai. But it's a scary place. I mean, it doesn't sound like a place you want to go to. It's a mountain that burns with fire. It's like a volcano that's always erupting. It's dark, dark, even though it's fiery, which is weird. There's smoke all around it. There's a trumpet blast. Even Moses says, verse 21, it was so terrifying that even great Moses says, I am trembling with fear. If you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, it may remind you of Mount Doom in Mordor. It looks kind of like that. It's a scary picture. And this holy God, this awesome God, the God of Sinai was an unapproachable God. There were warning signs. Uh, do not trespass signs around the whole mountain. If you come to it, if you come close to this God, you will die. We read here in verse 20 that it wasn't just the people who were having the problems. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. There was ceremonial stoning and killing of innocent animals. Animals, they didn't do anything wrong. They just touched the mountain. Why do you hurt the animals? To show and press home the holy majesty of God upon these worshipers. They could not bear the presence of God. It is one of the classic lessons of the Old Testament that nobody goes near the holy place of God. Nobody goes near the holy God except one man, Moses, just like in the temple with the high priest. And Moses can't take it for very long. He's scared out of his mind. And those who hear God's voice, they beg for God to stop. It's an intimidating picture. Imagine, imagine yourself in Mount Sinai. Imagine if you were there. How would you have felt? Would you have thought for one second that you could treat a God like this as your buddy? Would that word ever have crossed your mind? Would you have treated him as a kind of a casual acquaintance, a, a friend, a laughing pal you could just joke around with? Would you, would you have kind of stood with your best buds in the back 
uh, be a good back row Presbyterian or even a back row Baptist, I suppose? Would you have stood in the back with your friends and just chatted about the weather or the fact that UGA uh, won yesterday or the news? Would you have just chatted about the, the what you're going to have for dinner? Would you have been afraid at all before God's presence? And you have to realize that for most of us, you wouldn't even get to know directly what God said. You wouldn't get you wouldn't have the Bible to hear. You wouldn't have a, your own copy of the Bible just to read. You'd have to ask Moses and get his report on things. He's a media. You can't talk to God directly. And even Moses, of course, was not fit to be there himself. He needs a sacrifice for his own sins. And you read through the rest of the Old Testament and you see pictures and hints of all of this coming through. The best preacher, one of the best preachers in the Old Testament. If you had him, you would say, wow, I love his preaching style. Isaiah. Isaiah, the great prophet. What does he say? I am a man of unclean lips. I mean, look, in Jerusalem, they, they, they loved his preaching. In one sense, he was a great preacher. But Isaiah says, I'm unfit. It's the prototype of true worship here. Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, dark darkness, fire, trumpets. But you have not come there. You've not come there. All that we've been talking about, you've not come there. But you have come somewhere. You have come to worship God somewhere. Verse 22. You have come. How different it is for Christians. You have come. You've come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the church of the firstborn. You've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to God, the judge of all, the assembly of the firstborn. You've come to this. This is your present situation, not in the future, not in the sweet by and by, but everything Israel wanted was here. The real Jerusalem, the heavenly one, not the earthly fake one, not the earthly copy, the real deal. All that Sinai was supposed to point to, in one sense, worship with God, is here. You have come into communion with all the heroes of the faith from chapter 11. Who do you think the assembly of the firstborn are? Who are the spirits of the righteous? It's all these guys back here, these gals back here. It's Abraham, it's Moses, it's David, it's Daniel. The righteous made perfect. So the question is, why would you ever want to go back? Why would you want to give up all of this incredible worship to go back to Mount Doom, to go back to Sinai? How could you give up a beautiful reality for a vague, dark terror? It'd be like a kid on Christmas morning, which is coming out soon, a kid on Christmas morning opening up their presents and looking at the toy and then throwing the toy away in the garbage and playing with the wrapping paper. No, you, you just don't do that. It's like taving, taking your driver's license test. And you put the car in reverse instead of putting it in drive. You go backwards. The danger for the people is to go backwards. And you don't see that Jesus is the one that all of the Old Testament is pointing to. And notice the stress here. In what you have come to the stress is on the approachability of God. The stress is on the fact that you can approach God. You can approach 
His grace, His kindness. He's not shrouded in darkness and fire. He's no longer surrounded by keep out, no trespassing signs. Rather, you see it right here, you have come to innumerable, that means a lot of angels. You've come to a lot of angels in festal gathering. Now, what do you think the angels do when they're in festal gatherings? They do festal stuff. I'm not entirely sure what festal stuff is, but it's festal. It's a party. It's a happy occasion. It's a celebration. It's a triumph. What do you do when you're in festal gatherings? I don't think you ever call them. I don't ever call them festal gatherings. But what do you do when you're in festal gatherings? Well, you're not like you are at work. You know, at work, you're all tight-laced. You know, at work, you're all dot your I's, cross your T's. At work, you're all, I got to get this. You know, when you're, when you're out in public, you're very, you know, you're professional. But when you're with friends, you're on the dinner table. You're enjoying a good meal, warm drinks on winter nights. You smile. You feel safe. You're with your own people. There's not a severity. You may have to be a boss who's certain at work. You may be a teacher who's dealing with naughty kids. But here, you bring out the little party hat and you put it on. These are angels that are having fun. I, I try as a rule to avoid watching any Hallmark shows. You know those shows. I try to, as a rule to avoid watching them. I also try as a rule to avoid any, giving any Hallmark cards with angels on them. One of the reasons, among many, is Hallmark angels are never having fun. I have yet to see a Hallmark angel who has fun. These angels, the real ones, are having fun. Now, why are they having fun? They're not having fun because they're enjoying a pastime. They're not having fun because they're enjoying some hobby. They're having fun. They're partying because the king is there. They're partying because Jesus Christ is there. That's the reason why they're partying. We party for all sorts of other reasons, some good, some bad. You can go on a college campus to find out why people party for some good and some bad reasons. But the angels party in heaven. The saints are partying in heaven because the king is there. And notice, if I can do one little bit of grammar here, verse 22, it's not hard grammar, don't worry. The tense of the verb, have come. You have come. It's not future tense. You have come. Not you're going to come one day when you die. Then you'll get into heaven when you die. You'll be able to do all this stuff when you die. No, you have come. Now. Today, you have come to Jesus Christ. You have come to a human like yourself. You have come to the mediator of a new covenant. You have come to a gracious, forgiving, generous covenant whereby sinners can be welcomed by their heavenly Father. Though we don't see him, he is here. As Peter says, we love him. You have come, verse 24, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember what happened to Abel? We've actually mentioned him a few times in our uh, path through Hebrews. We've talked about Abel a bit because the authors talked about Abel. But what word did Abel's blood speak? You know what word it spoke. Justice, vengeance, deal with my murderer. His blood streamed to heaven for vengeance against Cain. And God said to Cain, your brother's blood cries out from the ground for vengeance. Condemnation. The author says, 
This is not the blood that you're dealing with. This is not the blood you've come to. Instead, you've come to the blood of Jesus Christ. Richer blood spilt. The fountain filled with blood in Cooper's phrase. His blood says forgive. His blood says do not condemn. His blood cries out for mercy, not for vengeance. There are two ways to worship God. There's a traditional way and the contemporary way. And the traditional way is vengeance, justice, Mount Sinai. The contemporary worship style that we all must agree on is this right here. You have come to Mount Zion. That's contemporary worship. That's what it is. You see the contrast here? It's true for us actually right this moment. It's true for us right now. Today, every week we gather for worship. We gather before God. Now, you're looking around and you're saying, you know, apart from yourself, everybody else is pretty unimpressive looking, you might be thinking. Certainly, Pastor John is. But that's the outward appearance. There's the inner reality. There's the inner reality. There's a spiritual reality that is beautiful and incredible and glorious. I encourage you next Sunday before you come. You can't do it now, I suppose, but next Sunday, read this before you come to worship. Meditate on it. As we meet, heaven is here. As we meet, the angels chant with us. As we pray, the saints of old bow their heads. As we give thanks, as we offer ourselves We are in the assembly of the firstborn. As we receive the joyful grace of God, we receive the joy of the partying angels in heaven. You know, (laughs) up here, I get to see what happens every time that door opens in the church. Every time that door opens, there's a certain percentage of y'all that look back. I would too, but I just get to look. I can look and see who comes in. Right? Well, look around. We see who's here. We see who comes in. That's the nature of things. And if a celebrity were to walk in, you'd be whispering. You'd be saying, oh, did you see that guy? See that person? The problem is we don't see who's actually here. The angels. Heaven. The saints. And supremely, verse 24, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that right now, every time the church gathers, it's as if the, the wall between heaven and earth kind of gets really thin. It gets really thin. And if you cup your ear, you might be able to hear, almost might be able to hear the praises of the angels. Almost you might be able to hear the worship of the saints. Heaven comes down into this place. We meet and worship in the very presence of God. We are one with the faithful men and women and boys and girls of every century, of every land in Jesus Christ. We worship with God. That's the contrast. I know some of y'all have said to me, um, and you've had friends or neighbors tell you as well, there's something different about this church. I can't put my finger on it, right? And you're thinking, I, I get what it is. It's that Christ is exalted. Christ's exalted. We're not here to be flashy. We're not here to look on the outside like we're having fun. We're here to have fun on the inside. We're here to have fun with the angels in our soul. And yet there's a key danger here. The beauty, I almost wish just to stop there. That would be a, a beautiful sermon. We all end on a high, but there is, well, there's a challenge issue. There's a response called for. Beginning in verse 25 through verse 29. Verse 25, look there. 
See, the author says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. There's a danger here. The danger is that we misunderstand the contrast. We misread the gentleness of God. We trivialize because we have this. We come to Mount Zion because we have heaven on offer, as it were. We trivialize God. We take our salvation for granted. We lose our reverence. We lose our obedience. So there is this contrast. See that you do not refuse him of speaking. That's the fear. Refuse to listen to Jesus. These Christians were contemplating betraying Christ. They were contemplating abandoning his word and returning to Mount Sinai. They were wavering in their faith. Some had stopped meeting with the church altogether. They were presuming upon God's grace. They were misreading his gentleness. And that's why in verse 25, the author says a hard word. Let me read it to you. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. That's a complicated way of saying a very simple and yet a hard truth. The simple and hard truth is in Jesus Christ, the penalty for sin is not removed. In Jesus Christ, the penalty for disobedience is not removed. It's greater. The call for obedience is not lessened, but it's impressed with new force. That's why the author goes on to say, look, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yes, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. You see. In one sense, it would be easier to be to have awe if you were at Mount Sinai, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be easier to have righteous fear of God at Mount Sinai? Because you can see it. You can hear the trumpet. You can see the fire. You can see you're in a, some smoky, foggy place. You'll be scared out of your mind. It'll be easier to have, in some sense, that kind of fear. And yet the writer tells us that God is still the judge. God, verse 23, is still the judge of all. He still judges sin. And we're told here by implication that he judges sin not just on earth, but in hell eternally. Eternal condemnation. If they did not escape him when they refused him on earth, we won't escape him either. That's why verse 26, the day is coming. The day is coming when you will hear God's voice and you will see God's presence. The day is coming when that wall between heaven and earth that's paper thin as we worship, that wall gets torn apart. There's no, There won't be a wall. There won't be a veil between heaven and earth. But Christ will appear with his angels and you'll see him with your eyes. And it will be a day of judgment. So therefore, don't make the fatal error of assuming that because you don't, it won't happen. That because God is so kind to us to give us Mount Zion, to give us the taste of heaven, to open up heaven's vault and let us swim in the gold. Just because God is so kind to do that now doesn't mean 
that you can bail on Jesus and get away with it. Just because the cat can sit on your lap for half an hour and she's so peaceful, she's so kind, and she purrs, and she's really soft, and she is all those things, doesn't mean that at the 45th minute she won't chop your hand off. But the challenge here that we have, a challenge to respond, the challenge really is actually to listen. You notice that, right? That the challenge actually, the, the test of obedience that is mentioned here is in verse 25, do refuse him who is speaking. The test in one sense is very simple. It's what your mama used to say. Listen, listen, listen to me. Don't harden your hearts. Listen. How many of us are misreading the gentle kindness of God? Isn't God very patient with us? Isn't God gentle with us? How many promises have you and I made? How many promises have you and I made and not kept? How many times have you told God, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to deal with it. I'll stop, I'll stop that sin, but we don't. We don't. How many times have you made a little hell for yourself? You, you got the little shovel out of sin and you dug a little hell hole for yourself and you fell into the hell hole. And God had to get you out of it. How many times have you done that? How many times have you, have you neglected your conscience? It says you shouldn't do that, but you did it. And yet how many times has God forgiven us and forgiven us and forgiven us and forgiven us and restored us and blessed us and nourished us and cared for us and over and over again shown us his son? How many times has he assured us that we are pardoned? And that's the danger. The danger is assuming that God will always be like this. The day is coming when Christ will shake the heavens. It won't be an earthquake. It'll be a universe quake. And therefore, if you've been playing games with God, you'll find out the reality then of presuming on his gentleness. We do that, don't we? We misread God's illness. I mean, just think about what you do the five minutes before church starts, the ten minutes before church starts. We're on our phones. We're checking, you know, the scores, or we're we're catching up with our friends. We're talking loudly about all sorts of things. We're running around the church like chickens with our heads cut off. I don't. We mean we, we mean better than that. We love God. We care for His Word. And yet there's no thunder. And so we think, well, I can just keep doing this. I do it as much as you. We forget that we come into heaven with the angels. I mean, if you had that in mind, if you had this text in mind every time you come into heaven. And yet we act as if uh, we're going to a concert, whether a classical concert or a rock concert, it doesn't really matter. We misread God's patience. We wouldn't have done it at Sinai. I mean, if you were at Mount Sinai, you, you would never have done this. And we assume that because now Christ has died for my sins, I can only worship God however I feel like it. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. And the very first way to refuse him who speaks is to not trust him as your Savior. Some of y'all haven't done that yet. You're going your own way. You're leading your own life. You hear the gospel. You think you can play around with God. That's a mistake. You could die on the way home tonight and be in hell with a hard heart. Don't misread God's gentleness. There's a last call here. 
to the last call. He says this, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful. The, th the solution to all this is not just to say, listen, the solution strikingly is actually gratitude. The solution to any worship problem that you have in your life, the solution to presuming upon God's gentleness is not to just uh, really remember that God is coming, but rather it's to actually be grateful. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You see what he's saying? There's a contrast here. One last contrast. There's a kingdom that's shaken. Yet once more I will shake. There's a kingdom that's shaken, and there's a kingdom that's unshakable. There's a shakable kingdom and an unshakable kingdom. The older Christians, many of them thought this referred to this shaking referred to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Modern scholars say it's the last judgment. Personally, perhaps it's better to read it as the shaking of all the empires throughout all time, including the last judgment. You think of the Roman Empire, alive in the days of Christ. What happened to Rome? It shook. It fell. You think of the British Empire. Rule Britannia. The empire that was said, the sun never set on that empire. Well, the sun eventually set. It fell. Do we think that an American empire is any different? You see here that the empires of man, the earthly mountains, like Mount Sinai, that we build, they will fall. There will be a shaking. So don't look to what your eyes see. That's the point. The point is don't look to what your eyes tell you church should be. Church is. Look to what this word says church is. You come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Christians receive an unshakable kingdom with an invincible king. You know that people all around you are being shaken today? People all around you are being shaken. They have no idea how to raise kids. They have no idea how to live. They have really poor views on what marriage is. Tell me, you know, uh, and the message, get what you can while the getting's good. And then, you know, somebody knew. Basic ethics. We live in a world of shook, shook people. They're shook up. But do you know, are you grateful Therefore, you receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Notice the verb there. It's receive. What does that mean? That means your goal is not to build a Christian kingdom. Your goal is not to build some great Christian block. Your goal is to receive a kingdom and be grateful that God gives it to you. And offer to God worship that is acceptable not to you, but to him. Not worship that you like but worship that he approves of with reverence and awe. So are you in that kingdom? How do you get to the kingdom? You go to the king. You come to the king. You come to Jesus. You go to the king who spilled blood for you, his blood. You go to the king who rose again. You go to the king so that your first loyalty is to bow the knee to him and pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the only way to get Mount Zion. That's the only way to get the angels with the party hats on. That's the only way for you to get a party hat on in heaven. To have the joy of worship right now in your soul. Come to him. 
and watch in astonishment as the kingdom is built in your life and your heart. Watch as he builds his kingdom in you Sunday after Sunday, week after week, as the wall between heaven and earth gets a little thinner each time. And the wall in your heart breaks down. And that heart of flesh that he gives to you beats more and more every day. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you and we, we seek to receive what you have for us. We, we need hearts that are grateful. Make us, hearts that are, make us grateful hearts. Make us people who listen to your word. Make us those who receive your kingdom. Make us those who do not want to go to Sinai where it, it looks so scary and intimidating. And instead, may we receive heaven open now for us, Mount Zion. Give us the sight of the soul to see you, the eyes of faith to look at you, the ears to respond to your gospel and your glory. Father, we thank you that you have given this to us, even though we can we can barely comprehend it. For we come in the name of Jesus Christ, whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And we ask that you receive our prayers because of that blood. Amen.